the goldfish you're pulling out of the water are it's comical yeah they look ridiculous yeah and when i see them swimming so like i can see them swimming in the water they just they look awkward like they kind of sort of waddle back and forth (laughs) (laughs) that's what they look like That is Christine Boston. She's an aquatic research biologist with Fisheries and Oceans Canada. She knows goldfish, and she handles them often. Christine has so much to teach us about this species, so we'll get to those questions in just a moment. But first... To Lake Erie. A gorgeous summer day. Sunny, but not too hot. About 100 kids and families are gathered at Wheatley Provincial Park for a fishing derby. Kate Derbyshire is a park ranger with a specific job that day. I just took all the fish off of kids' hooks and measured them for them. Kids can fish on the lake or the creek. Eventually everyone gets a prize, no matter the size. So Kate is stuck at this table and she's busy. Kids were just catching fish after fish after fish like it was a really successful derby and usually the winning fish are like 64 centimeter or so channel cat so we get some very small fish and some very large fish but catfish is typically the most common and then kate hears some excitement great catch and like stuff like that because it was a, a big fish and kids are always like super excited about that it's a boy no older than 10 And as soon as his catch comes into view, Kate knows it is a goldfish. Around 22 or 24 centimeters long, and it was super thick and just bright orange. Okay, like finally I'm seeing a goldfish here because I knew they're in Lake Erie. If you're wondering, nobody had the heart to tell the boy he had a goldfish on his hook. It was about 22 centimeters in size. I posted a photo to our Instagram account. If you have as many questions as I do about goldfish in the Great Lakes, Christine Boston is here to help us understand. She's an aquatic research biologist with Fisheries and Oceans Canada. Now, for our American friends, it means that she's a scientist with the federal government. Christine has been working with the species since 2017 in Hamilton Harbour. That's on the western tip of Lake Ontario. We started our conversation by talking about how these fish end up in the Great Lakes. At the Ancaster Fair, which is an annual fall fair here, they, they give them away, right? They, their prizes or they were, all, they were something that was commonly given away at fairs and things like that. And of course, they're very cheap to buy and you get a goldfish and, you know, maybe it gets a little bit too big for the tank or you just don't feel like taking care of it anymore and you think you're doing a humane thing by releasing it into the wild. Um, I think they're releasing them into probably places like Hamilton Harbor or Toronto Harbor, where there's like large populations of people around the waterfront. But I, but I also think that they're probably a more significant source is releasing them into local ponds or which are often stormwater management ponds. They're more common now than they were before, these stormwater management ponds. And what they are connected to streams and rivers that empty into harbors or other parts of the Great Lakes. How much is there a connection between people flushing goldfish down the toilet and goldfish surviving in the Great Lakes? I think that's pretty rare that that would actually happen. So my brother works in a in a sewage treatment plant. He's a manager and he said, 
very rarely do we see them and you said they because you have to go through so many different sieves and stuff like that so it's pretty unlikely that flushing your fish down the toilet would get it into a lake so in order to get out of a get from a what did you call it a stormwater treatment pond like it's a stormwater management pond it's basically a pond that you see in a subdivision and it usually is has very good access so it has trails leading to it even and even though you're not supposed to fish in them or or you know put it's it's illegal to release um, animals into the wild but people do it because they and they treat them like ponds but they're actually designed to take the extra water that occurs when there's a heavy rainfall. What is required to travel to the lake through that system? Like, Does it require an iron will to live on the part of these goldfish? <laughs> yeah, they're pretty amazing creatures, actually. Um, they, they're very tolerant of low dissolved oxygen, very tolerant of, you know, fluctuations in water temperatures. So they, uh, they're often found in these ponds because like, I mean, go figure, they can live in a fishbowl, right? So they're resilient. Yeah. And invasive. They have the, all the characteristics of a successful invader. What are those characteristics? They grow very fast. Um, they're generalists, which means they eat everything. So they'll eat fish eggs, they'll eat invertebrates, they'll eat, uh, you know, the harmful alg- algal blooms that we have now um, in the Great Lakes, especially Lake Erie and parts of Lake Ontario, like Hamilton Harbor. They eat that. And when they... It goes through their track. Um, it actually becomes becomes more available to reproduce more of this algae. So they just they eat everything. They eat plants. Um, they they're very fecund, which means they have they produce a lot of eggs, and uh, they don't have any natural predators. Well, maybe now they do because they've been in the system for so long. But that's usually uh, one reason that helps these species increase their numbers quite quickly. Talk about being kings of the food chain. They have very few predators and they can eat almost anything and they just keep growing. Yeah. I mean, they're prime for success. Yes. How big do they get? They get to be quite big. So I was looking at my database and for Hamilton Harbor, I have over a thousand individuals that we've measured and weighed over the years. And the largest one that we captured was 465 millimeters, which is about 18 inches. And it's over five pounds. You sent me a photo of... A goldfish. I posted it to our Instagram page. Now, how come their heads do not grow, but their bodies get bigger and bigger? I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> I think you've described them as footballs. Yes, they're they're yeah. I guess because they don't really need a big head, they don't need a big mouth because they're not eating anything big. They're not eating another fish. They're not piscivores. So they're eating algae, they're eating plants, they're sifting through the bottom. So I guess their their mouth really do, really doesn't need to be that big. Um, but it's amazing. Like once you get past the head, they're just so thick. Like I said, they're like a football, that shape. And they're really bony. Like it would be really hard for something else to eat them. What's the size of the average goldfish you catch? Uh, about 30 centimeters, which is about 12 inches. So a foot. Yeah, a tiny goldfish is pretty well proportioned. The goldfish you're pulling out of the water are, it's comical. Yeah. They look ridiculous. Yeah. And when I see them swimming, so like I can see them swimming in the water, they just, they look awkward. Like you wouldn't like, they kind of sort of waddle back and forth. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they look like. And they're, so you wouldn't think that they would move from one end of the harbor to the other. Or like the Australian study found they traveled 140 miles in one year 
you wouldn't think they would be able to do that based on the way like I observe them swimming. But So they waddle swim. <laughs> what does it look like? It's just like a lazy fat fish moving back and forth. Like, But it doesn't have like a really, oh, like let's say for a pike, for example, where it's like these big swooshes of the tail. It's more of just like little, little movements back and forth. And you think, how does it get? It's like a turtle. I'm picturing a football shaped fish, two tiny fins on each side that they're just like s- flapping. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. They look. They look silly (laughs) when they're swimming. So your area of specialty is Lake Ontario. So let's focus on that lake. Do you know how many goldfish are in Lake Ontario? I have no idea. I know there's like numbers out there that are 50,000, but I'm not really sure how that number was devised. But I, I can tell you that I've been sampling and serving Lake Ontario for the last 20 years, and I've only captured a handful of them outside of Hamilton Harbor. So, you know, a couple in Toronto Harbor, a couple in Jordan Harbor, again, like degraded embayments close to large populations of people. So does this tell us they're not big swimmers? Like they don't go very far from where they're dropped off? Well, I I don't know if they need to, you know, depending on where you catch them. So, for example, uh, in Australia, there are researchers studying the population in the river there, very similar to what we're doing in Hamilton Harbor. And they've moved 140 miles in a year. They've seen them move in a day, like multiple lengths of a football field. Whereas our fish that live in Hamilton Harbor. So Hamilton Harbor is 21 hectares in size. So I think maybe it's seven or eight kilometers in length. So if you're looking from the east end to the west end. And some of them will spend quite a bit of time moving around in the east end or the north, or along the north shore, but only one fish poked his nose out into the lake and then, you know, for a couple minutes and decided, I think, that that maybe it was too cold or something and then came back. So all our fish that we have tagged with this study that we're doing, this telemetry study, they all stay in Hamilton Harbor. Are you saying hypothetically one fish stuck its nose out into the lake or did you witness that? <laughs> oh, no. Well, we're, we... Um, I'm part of a study, um, it's called Acoustic Telemetry, where we actually remotely track fish. So we have a sample of fish, of goldfish tagged in Hamilton Harbor. So, And this sort of underwater listening system that's all around the harbor in Lake Ontario. So we can tell where they're going 365 days a year. Wow. Okay, what do you notice? It sounds like they sort of hug the harbor. What else do you notice about their patterns? So we have fish tagged... um, that we tagged in the west end of the harbor so that's kind of the area where all where you catch the most fish because it's the most protected area of the harbor there's lots of plants down there which fish like for cover just sort of the healthier end of the harbor so what we found was that the fish that we tagged in the west end of the harbor they rarely rarely left the west end so they spent spring summer winter fall in the west end of the harbor but the fish that we tagged along the north and east shores of the harbor spent a lot of time in other areas of the harbor in the summer and the fall but then they return to the west end of the harbor for the winter. And they basically all overwinter in the same area. And then in sort of in preparation for spawning or during their spawning season, which which we think we identified through this method, they move, they target these two areas, these two wetland areas. So that was kind of neat to see that, that there was fish that stayed in the harbor the whole time. Sorry, in the west end of the harbor and other ones were more mobile, but then they all went to the west end to 
spend the winter, and then we see them move in the spring to very specific areas to spawn. These are areas we identified that they would probably go to spawn. Nobody really knew what was going to happen. They don't know much about the ecology of goldfish in the wild. So you get up close with these goldfish. I'm wondering, are they breeding with other fish? Are you noticing that? Well, they can only breed with something that's of like a similar species. So they do they do breed with carp, common carp, which is one of the other invasive um, cyprinids. That's the family they belong to, cyprinidae, in Hamilton Harbor. I'm just wondering what they look like. Are they still gold? Well, do you mean that they breed with other species, or do you mean they breed with each other? Either way, like when when the fish are coming in, what color do they tend to be? Most of the goldfish that we capture are like this dull olivey green color, but we also catch very brightly colored ones as well. So we'll catch very, uh, some orange ones, orange and white, black and orange. But once they become established in, in the wild, they revert back to this dull olivey goldy color because that's um, they were bred to be orange, right, for ornamental ponds and aquariums. That's not a good color to be in the wild because if a bird a bird can see you and pick you off or another predator when they're small, they would get they would get um, predated upon more easily because they're so visible. Once they've been reproducing for a couple of years, nature will select for those fish that are that dull color and that sort of blend in. It's, if it's that dull olivey gold color, you're kind of camouflaged, I guess. So if you pull one on board and it's gold gold, you know it's fairly new to the waterways, new to the Great Lake? Yes, that's the theory. If you're still capturing ones that are colored, they're still actively being introduced. Do you have a sense of for how long the goldfish have been finding their way into Lake Ontario? Probably since the turn of the 20th century. Is that based on evidence from the fish or is it just knowledge of the domestication of goldfish and and them getting dumped? Uh, Just records from people who historically studied like Hamilton Harbor or Toronto Harbor because they were it was around yeah like the 1880s I think where they were became more common as a as a pet and like I said they were being given away for all sorts of reasons and there's documentation of them in the system. How did you become aware of them? Well, I've been, so I've been studying Hamilton Harbor since 2002, and I really started to see them increase in the catch in 2006. So Hamilton Harbor, it was once described as an oasis for warm water and cold water fish in Lake Ontario. It was like the big wetland. And so there's a lot of information that was collected on it. And um, it actually used to be, it was the spawning grounds for lake trout and whitefish in Western Lake Ontario and Lake Herring. And those populations, like they just don't exist in the harbor anymore just because the habitat is so degraded, but also very important area for warm warm water fishes as well. So there's a lot of information about it. And basically by 1950, all of these, all of this wonderful habitat and these populations of both warm water and cold water fish were decimated basically by 1950 that allowed species like common carp and goldfish to come in and take over because the fish community was so degraded and the water quality was so degraded and there was so much habitat lost so there are records of goldfish being captured in the harbor as far back as i think like the 1880s but not in any sort of quantity 
until later on. What had caused that habitat to become degraded? For starters, 70% of the, the wetland or marsh habitat has been lost in Hamilton Harbor. So the whole South Shore where um, all the steel mills are and stuff, that was all wetland habitat. So that was all filled in. Oh, like it gets paved over kind of thing? Basically, yeah. That's one of the reasons. So 70% of the the wetland habitat was lost, 70% of the substrate in the harbor that fish need for different things, for spawning and stuff like that. So for the the cold water species, like the, the lake trout and the whitefish and the herring and the walleye, they need rocky habitat. So most of that was removed from the harbor. And um, all the sewage treatment plants that service Hamilton and Burlington, the water down, all these areas around the harbor, all goes into Hamilton Harbor. So that was really a bad design from day one. There's too many nutrients coming into the harbor. So that's really the issue we're dealing now with. And then, of course, the industrial contamination with all the with all the steel plants. So it was just like a combination of all of those factors. What sort of problems do the goldfish cause? There's a group in Australia that are also studying the goldfish, and they call them an ecological nightmare. <laughs> and I love that term. I was like, I'm going to use that from now on, but I did not come up with it. But um, so goldfish and common carp are the same. They're um, very destructive the way they the way they feed. So they're uprooting vegetation, disturbing the sediment. And when they disturb the sediment, that releases the nutrients that trigger even more of this algal growth that I was talking about. So we already have the problem with the sewage treatment plants. They feed on everything. Um, And they're also known to transmit diseases and parasites, but I don't really know much about that. Do the goldfish bring anything good to the table? I don't think so. I'm trying to think of something positive. You know, maybe maybe when they're quite tiny, maybe they're a, they're a source of food for some some of the other predators. But there's nothing. There's no redeeming quality in the goldfish. No, they're pretty. Then what is that like for you when you're on the kingfisher and you're handling these fish and they're an invasive species and they're causing all these problems? What is your relationship like to the goldfish? Well, I, I'm very I'm very fascinated by them because, like I said, they're so they're just it's like they're invincible. Like I'm, I'm amazed that they can survive anywhere. And it seems because they just, they just adapt to everything. And like I said, they can just live on such very little oxygen, um, which is why they're, you know, they're doing so well in these stormwater management ponds, for example. What do you see as a solution to this? What, what do you want to see happen when it comes to the goldfish issue? You know, just public education and the outreach would go a long way. Like, I mean, I live in Hamilton and I walk around the harbor all the time and I don't see any signage that says, you know, you shouldn't release non-native species or things into the environment. Like I just, I think there's a lot that can be done to prevent this problem from continuing. I would like, a, I would like to see us, like I said, implement some more control measures. Uh, we have a better indication now of, of when they're vulnerable and when we can remove them. Um, again, we'll probably have to do some testing to see if they're not contaminated to the point where it's going to take a lot of effort to dispose of them, a lot of money and effort. Uh, we got to, you know, make sure that people understand that we're like, it's a dangerous thing. Um, I don't like having to kill anything. So like when I think about, you know, management and us removing them and killing them, that makes it sad. It's not their fault. They're not a native species, right? It's not their fault. No, it's people's fault. What is it like to be the goldfish lady? Oh, I don't know. It's funny. 
I never thought I would be the goldfish lady. It's cool. Like, it's cool to be doing, you know, studying something like the work that we're doing in goldfish in Hamilton. It's only the second study, out, you know, of goldfish outside of their native range. Um, so that's pretty exciting to be learning new information about them and hopefully information that will help control control the species in areas where there are problems. Is the other one in Australia? Yes. And is their native range in China? Yes. Well, this has been so interesting. I mean, for outsiders like us, it's very interesting to think about goldfish in the Great Lakes and how they live and why they survive, that sort of thing. And thank you for being so patient and answering all of my questions today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you're doing this podcast. And uh, like I said, the more people that you can reach and get invested in the Great Lakes and the issues and wanting to make them better so we can enjoy them more, that makes me happy. That is Christine Boston. She has a great handle. If you want to look her up on Twitter and Instagram, it's LadyFishBio. I am grateful for her time and patience in answering all those questions. And thank you for listening to Unsalted. The show doesn't have an official sponsor, but this week's episode is dedicated to Christine's brother. What is it like when you bring this up at a dinner party? I I don't know. Some people think it's really cool. Other people don't care. Like I was telling my brother that you were going to interview me. He's like, that doesn't sound like the podcast many people would listen to. Oh my God. <laughs> Let's prove him wrong. Right? He doesn't know how much people care about the Great Lakes. I know. That's funny. Please share this episode with anyone who might be curious to find out about goldfish in the Great Lakes so we can show him. Now, I'll warn you that on episode seven of the podcast, we are going to hear some supernatural, spooky stories. And they said, no, you can't be here. This is not your time. Just then, he woke up to the sound of helicopter rotor blades overhead, and it was the Coast Guard hovering down to pick him up off that life raft. He called it a, uh, you know, afterlife experience. He didn't go home, he didn't go to his house, he went back to his boat. That tells you a lot about the soul of these mariners. And I think that's what leads to a lot of these ghost stories. The spirits are attached to that vessel. They're attached to the lake. That is Wes Olszewski, the author of more than 20 books about the Great Lakes. One of them is called Great Lakes Ghost Stories, Haunted Tales Past and Present. I hope you'll join us for that conversation as we get into the Halloween spirit on the next Unsalted.